Well, good evening, everyone. Would you stand and worship with us as we sing about the amazing gift that we've been given by our King? Who breaks the power? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in all Thanks, Daniel. Hey, good evening, Mosaic. Glad to have you here on a cold, dreary fall, finally, 
Saturday. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Ashley. I do communications here. Uh, so typically that means I get to bring some announcements and opportunities. And if anyone here is familiar with Camp Regal, you would have said opportunities. And that's okay. Maybe next time. Michael. Anyway, uh, a couple things that I want to put before you. First, um, if you are familiar with the original uh, Amazing Grace, then you might be interested in the uh, Sage Night of Worship that we have that's coming up uh, on the 13th, I believe. Yes, that's going to be here uh, at the Lodge. Um, as Sue and Jerry Dudley put it, this is an old-fashioned sing-along. Um, so it's going to be a really sweet night of worship with some of our older and much-beloved hymns. So we'd love to invite you to that. Um, Next thing I want to talk about is if you have a student in high school, our winter retreat applications or yeah, registration is going to be live on Wednesday. So that is always such a sweet time for our high school students. We encourage you to register your student if they are interested in. Um, and then the next thing um, is our marriage enrichment night, and that's happening on the 5th. Uh, that's going to be here on campus and you might be wondering why the single girl is really passionate about the marriage enrichment night. Uh, that's because I'm the daughter of parents who had a really tumultuous season of their own marriage. Um, and they were brave and humble and reached out to their church, their church and their community. Um, and by the grace of God, they are happily married today. Um, and I am a huge benefactor of ministries like this. So um, it's not just for marriages in crisis. Uh, it's just an enrichment night that is going to kick off our re-engage ministry. So we would encourage you to come to that um, if you are married. Okay, next. I'm going to ask you to get a little hype with me uh, because happening next service, we're going to have a baptism. So Roman Bertram um, is going to be baptized next hour. You guys won't be here for that, but get a little excited for him. Um, just... The, just like the amazing grace we were just singing about, that is what he has experienced in his life, and we are so grateful to be a part of that with him. So I'm gonna pray, and then we'll continue in worship. Lord, thank you so much for this evening. Uh, thank you for the changing of this season, uh, the beauty that comes with, uh, with that change. We're grateful for the opportunities that we have for you to work in our lives. Um, and God, we pray that through this evening, through the teaching, um, that we don't leave without knowing and loving you more. In your own pray, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, as we continue to worship, um, and I've, as I've been praying through just this service, I, our scripture tonight really has brought to mind this, this phrase that I've heard a lot in reference to just the hope that we have, and that's the already, but the not yet. That we live in this middle ground of, man, what has Jesus already done for me? and how I've tasted the eternal glory, but also there's still sin and brokenness and pain in the world, and we're not quite home yet. But we can look forward with hope and press on knowing what we've already received. So as we continue to worship, let's look back and just continue to sing with gratitude for that taste of eternity that we've already gotten from our God. So. from glory to where my sin 
Every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gifts to us, your Son, and your Spirit. Amen.
count as a loss. Power and faith, I trade for your mercy and grace. Take my whole life, I fully surrender.
Would you remain standing for the reading of the word? Mosaic. I am Deb McLean. This is my husband, Rob. Hello. (laughs) We have been coming to Fellowship Mosaic for almost 16 years. Um, We started serving first, I think it was in Busy Beavers class, I'm not sure of the name, um, with the toddlers with Jen, and that was great. We moved in to check in for the little ones, and Rob teaches upstairs right now with Dana. With the elementary kids, and we also uh, serve in the re-engage Uh, marriage ministry you heard about earlier uh, today. We have a house full of boys. We have two high schoolers, uh, one elementary, um, two dogs, a cat, and I'm not sure what the gender of the fish are, but we have a bunch of boys in our family. Uh, Basically live in a frat house. So so anyway, (laughs) (laughs) now hear from the word of the Lord. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You all can take a seat. Thanks, Robin Deb. Cassie and I and Karis uh, had the great privilege this last spring of getting to spend some time uh, in Northern Ireland with uh, some believers and a church there and a a really cool discipleship ministry and just seeing what the Lord was doing in that part of the world. Uh, And if you know much about the history of Northern Ireland in the last hundred years, um, it's been a really difficult, painful, war-torn area, ironically centered around the question of Jesus. It's been Jesus followers fighting over power and control based on faith. In fact, uh, our host and guide and dear friend there, you know, making a little bit light of a really horrible situation, told me the way they explain things is that the gospel had a different effect everywhere it hit the British Isles. When it hit England, they received the gospel and built civilization out of it. When it hit Wales, they received the gospel and wrote beautiful music. When it hit Scotland, they received the gospel and made great beer. And when it went to Ireland, they received the gospel and fought each other over it. And that was the heritage of the gospel in Ireland, was these people just fighting. There's so much pain. And, and for people of our host, Stuart's generation, that was the story of their childhood. They called themselves children of the troubles because that's what they referred to the season of, of war and fighting. And, and, and this time that was really confusing for so many um, Irish people growing up, trying to make sense of politics and war centered around and really done in the name of Jesus in so many ways, you had a lot of young people who didn't know how to separate the, the conflict that they saw from the Jesus they were trying to pursue. And one young man growing up, growing up in this context um, who was desperately trying to seek Jesus and know him more, turned to music and started writing music to try to, to put to words the wrestling that he had inside trying to find Jesus. And ironically, like his, his songs are so very explicitly about Jesus, um, and yet it has had massive appeal world over. And the song that Bono wrote um, on, on this topic I think captures what we're gonna be talking about tonight from Philippians 3, just about as well as it could possibly be said. This is some of the words that that Bono wrote about his wrestling with trying to arrive at Jesus. He said, I've climbed highest mountains. I've run through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. And you know I believe it. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it's, it's easy to look at this song as a song of almost hopelessness, that he still hasn't found what he's looking for, but 
I think the, the idea that he's saying here is he knows. He knows and believes who his Savior is. He knows what Jesus has done for him, and he trusts in Jesus, but he still longs to know Jesus. And he articulates that his life is a life of chasing after Jesus, and he knows he hasn't arrived yet. And I almost wonder if for that young man looking at a context of people who were fighting over what they understood to be the right representation of Jesus politically, I almost wonder if that caused him to have even more of a hunger to not come to a place of assuming that he had arrived. But having full faith centered on who Jesus is, to be committed to keep chasing after Jesus his entire life. As in this chapter three of Philippians that we're, that we're in right now, Paul is laying out this progression of the faith that Colin started us off on last week. That when we talk about the whole of salvation, salvation is a biblical word that means rescue, to be rescued. And he shared that quote from our seminary professor, Dr. Kreider, who when people ask him when he got saved, he says, I'm still waiting. Um, Dr. Kreider is trying to make a point that salvation is a large process that's more than just something that happened at a single point in your past, even though it certainly includes that. And Colin introduced us to three big words that cover the range of salvation, that we start with justification, that moment in our past where we were declared innocent of sin, continues into sanctification, where the power of sin is slowly weakened in our lives as we become more like Jesus, and culminating in glorification, that moment when sin is removed forever and we're made like Jesus. And, and, and the point that we're seeing Paul make here is this whole process is the salvation of God. And one of the things we're gonna see him leaning into, I think, is that, you know me, I've always gotta have two ditches. There's, there's two dangerous ditches we can fall into. One is thinking that because I haven't arrived yet, I must not be accepted by God. So I've gotta keep working in order to earn that acceptance. And that's what Paul really destroyed in, last, in the passage we looked at last week, that all the things he did could not earn him right standing with God. That was given to him as grace. He has been accepted by God. So we don't keep working to earn our salvation, but on the other hand, we don't believe that because we've been accepted, we fully arrived, fully are perfected, and we have nothing else to work on. Instead, our salvation is a story that carries from a moment through to eternity. And we're gonna look at what that middle section, that growing in Christ looks like tonight. So let's pray and we'll dive in. Lord, we love you. Thank you uh, for the letter to the Philippians. Thank you that we get to, to hear from you, from your scriptures. And I pray that the things we say tonight, the thoughts that we think, the prayers that we pray, uh, will reflect you, will reflect your word and will draw us closer to you. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we look at Philippians chapter three, verse 12, it says, Paul begins this way, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And the first question that I come to whenever I read this passage is I wanna know, not that I've already obtained all of what? He says, not that I've already obtained all this, but I press on. And oftentimes when we're in like group Bible studies, people will say, hey, what does that mean to you? And what can often happen in these contexts is we just start throwing out guesses from all over the place as to what in the world Paul could, base, could mean. Can I give you a tip for, that will resolve about 90% of those Bible study questions? One New Testament professor in, in, up in Chicago, he used to tell his students, hey, if you ever fall asleep in my class, and you realize I just asked you a question and you don't even know what the question is, shout the word context and you're probably gonna be right. Anytime you come across something you don't know what it is in the Bible and you don't know where to find it, chances are if you just zoom out a little bit, you're gonna see the answer. So when Paul says it's not that I've already obtained this, where do we find this? Just back up a little bit. This is where we ended last week. Look at what he said in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. 
What is the this that Paul hasn't gotten to yet? The full knowledge of Jesus. He says, what I want is I want to know Jesus and fully experience the power of his death and the power of his resurrection. That became Paul's focus, his life mission, is to know Christ and specifically to know what what we have this image of the death and resurrection of Jesus. When we talk about the gospel, we use that word a lot in church. The word gospel just means good news. So when we talk about the good news of Jesus, what is the good news of Jesus? Well, the good news of Jesus centers on his death and his resurrection. And that works out in our lives in several ways. It follows the path of what we just talked about earlier, our justification in the past, our sanctification in the present, and our glorification in the future. At second hour today, we talked about it in the um, body lifetime, we're gonna celebrate a baptism. Why do we do baptisms the way we do? We take people and we lay them down in water and we bring them back up again. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of burial and rising again. The reason is, it is a a ceremony, a ritual picture of what is taking place in someone's life when they trust Jesus. That at that moment, they are saying, who I was is dead. Because of Jesus, the person I was is gone, and I am now a new person. Um, It's similar to what happens when somebody gets married. Like, their entire status changes the moment they make that commitment. They are no longer a solitary individual, but they are now in this covenant relationship that binds them and creates a new identity for them. And when we look at baptism, what we're saying is that the death and resurrection of Jesus becomes a picture for who we are in Christ. So we know the death and resurrection of Jesus at the moment we become a Christian. But then we use that picture of death and resurrection even more as we talk about people's growth. Throughout the New Testament, when people talk about what it's like to be a Christian, they're gonna use dying and new life language. They're gonna say there is this old person who's dead and this new person that you're becoming. So put to death all the old things. Those old behaviors, those old way of thinking, crucify them, kill them, and let God bring something new to life in you. And then the death and resurrection of Jesus, ultimately, we experience in our lives when we physically die, and because we physically die as people who have put our faith in Jesus and walk with Jesus, when we physically die, we will physically rise like Jesus. So Paul says, I want my entire life to be marked by knowing Christ. I want the power of the old me dying and the new me coming to life to be my experience of every day. So I think that's the this he's talking about if we read it in context in verse 12. So let's pick back up in verse 12. He says, not that I've already gotten there, not that I've already obtained all of this, this complete knowledge of the death and resurrection of Jesus, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul recognized that he was rescued, not just to be rescued out of condemnation and then to go on his merry way. He was rescued for a purpose. And that purpose was to know Jesus. To to accept a salvation and a forgiveness without letting Jesus begin to change us is to miss the very point of our salvation. Mark Schatzman used to say it this way, I love it. He said, he said salvation is not like life insurance. Um, life insurance, generally, I actually said this in a sermon once before and I had an insurance salesman email me and say, hey, there's actually more to life insurance than that. So just work with my very simple explanation of life insurance, okay? Life insurance, when do you get the benefit of life insurance? When somebody dies, right? That's the whole idea is you're getting insurance for a benefit receivable upon death. And a lot of us think of our salvation as a kind of life insurance, only we're the recipient. So you put your faith in Jesus, you put in a little investment with Jesus, and then when you die, there's this awesome benefit coming. And Schatzman said, salvation in Christ is not life insurance. Salvation in Christ is a birth certificate. It's not a benefit that begins once you die. It's a new life that begins the moment you place your faith in him. 
So what Paul is saying is, I, I, I haven't gotten there yet, but I consider every day my motivation, my life purpose is to keep growing in Jesus. And this takes on an entirely new mindset for the Christian life. Um, people in education and psychology, they call this growth mindset, which means that they think of every experience, every opportunity, they ask the question, how am I growing? How am I gonna grow in this? Y'all have heard me tell stories about my mentor, Gary, and I was sitting with Gary one day, and I was having one of my many existential crises. They're quite frequent. He brings them on a lot. And I had this moment where I was, I was growing in self-awareness, and I went, Gary, I know that I have trusted Jesus, and I know that I've obeyed Jesus, but I don't know if I've ever in my life really loved him. And Gary went, hold, hold up, tap the brakes. Can we say that sentence a little differently, Nick? What if it's that you're learning to love Jesus in a new way? That is a much more helpful and healthy way to think about life. We wanna put things in these black and white, all or nothing categories, which is how we tend to think about our salvation. All or nothing, one or the other, when what Paul says is, hey, this is something I'm continuing to press on to. I'm not completely there, I'm not who I was, but I'm growing in this. I'm continuing to move forward. I remember years ago when I was, I was doing Celebrate Recovery and doing my step study, um, I was about six months in, and when you do one of these step studies, like you memorize everybody's introduction in the entire group. Like you just, you know them by heart because you've been saying this for a long time. And one of the people in leadership one day changed their introduction, which when that happens, it like hits you, like what's going on? And they changed their language from I celebrate recovery from to I struggle with. I had heard that introduction so many times. Hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate recovery from. And then one day I heard I struggle with, and I went, oh no, he had a relapse. And I waited till group was over, and I went up and I said, hey, I noticed you changed your introduction, what's going on? He said, oh, you know what? We in CR leadership are kinda, we're, we're putting, getting rid of the I celebrate recovery language, because it can give the idea, if I say, I celebrate recovery over, that I've arrived, that I'm done. And he said, having that mindset that I'm completely done with this struggle can actually be a really dangerous place to be. And he said, it's, I'm trying to embrace the fact that I'm gonna struggle. My life is gonna be a struggle onward into greater health and recovery. And he, he challenged all of us to take that perspective with our recovery, that we are continually growing, continually pressing on. And so Paul says this, I don't consider myself having gotten there. As he's challenging the Philippians to join with him, he says, I haven't gotten there, I'm still pressing forward, so you press forward too. And then in verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. When I was reading this, with a, the, the staff gets together and reads over these passages together, and we, we pray through and look through what are things we need to talk about. And when we came to this passage, I said, what, what stands out to you that we need to talk about? Every hand went up and said, what does he mean by forgetting what's behind? Is that burying the past? Is that ignoring the past? Because we all know that's an unhealthy thing to do, right? We're not supposed to avoid our past. So is that what Paul's telling us to do? Forgetting what's behind, just put it behind you, ignore it. Uh, we've been watching through a whole lot of shows. We've been binging as a family, family and friendly shows. And one of the things we hear show up so much in these dysfunctional families is don't stir up the past. Don't go there. Is, is Paul telling us not to stir up the past? You know the reason I'm very confident Paul's not saying that? Like 10 verses ago, he recalled a whole bunch of things from his past. Do you remember that? when he went through and listed all the things from his past that he used to strive after, and he said, hey, all of those things from my past, I consider them garbage now compared to knowing Jesus. Paul is not calling people to ignore their past, to bury it and pretend it's not there. If we actually look at what Paul does in Philippians 3 with his past, I think what he's calling us to do is to become very realistic about the truth of our past in light of Jesus. Paul is able to reframe the truth of his past in light of the good news about Jesus so that he can now know it for what it is, know how it's affected him, but not be controlled by it anymore. Because what Paul says is, you can pick, he uses a running metaphor, so he's saying, I, 
I know what my past is. I can now talk about that honestly, but my life direction is not facing my past. My life direction is facing my, my future. Because I've been able to be honest about the past, because I've been able to, to label it, to label the effects in light of what Jesus has done, I don't have to be controlled by it anymore. The past does not determine my present. If I've suffered some kind of atrocity, abuse, pain, and suffering, I have to be able to be honest about what happened. I have to be able to face that and understand it in light of the gospel. But I don't have to live controlled by that anymore. And that's the work that Jesus does as he helps us to come into a place of healing where we can be realistic about our past. But instead of letting that control us, instead, let what Jesus is doing, and that's what Paul says. He says, I'm not controlled by my past. I, don't, I, I forget that, I leave it behind. Forgetting not in the sense of not remembering it, forgetting it instead of, in the sense of not living controlled by it anymore. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That word called um, is the word that it, it's, we talk about, we hear it a lot in the Bible, the calling of certain prophets or the calling of certain kings. What's interesting is I oftentimes will hear believers wrestling with what is my calling? What has God called me to? And usually what they mean is a job. They wanna know what job am I supposed to do? What work am I supposed to do? I don't actually think there's a single passage in the New Testament that talks about calling in the terms of jobs. That's not what calling is about in the New Testament. You know what calling is about? Paul says it right here. It's being drawn toward Jesus. Our calling, the thing that defines our life and our future, is that we are to know Jesus and be transformed by him. So what Paul says is I'm, I'm, we find ourselves right now today sitting in between our past and our future. We have all the things that are behind us that have to be understood we have to face it honestly. But then out in front of us, we have a future calling of being transformed to be like Jesus, to know him, to love him, and spend life with him forever. And Paul says, we have a choice between which one of those realities is gonna define us, who we were or who we will be. And Paul says, as for me, I'm letting the future me define how I live today. I'm gonna to live today chasing after that calling, not being defined by what was in the past. Now, if, if you're anything like me and your story's like mine, the appropriate phrase right now is easier said than done. Um, dealing with the past is, is a really scary tool and especially, or a really scary thing to do, especially if we've avoided it for a long time. I heard one study recently that said, the longer we go without dealing with pain, often determines how long it takes to deal with it. So when you go through something hard and you immediately are able to talk about it and process it and, and let Jesus do some work on it, oftentimes the healing time is a lot quicker. But when we bury it and we stuff it for 10, 15, 20 years, we've developed a lot of resources for ignoring that and pushing it away. And it might take a lot of digging to get it back out. The lie is, is that I can keep stuffing it forever and never deal with it. The problem with that is the fear and the pain is there whether you acknowledge it or not. So much of my life has been defined by fear that my past mistakes would come back to destroy me. I can tell you, for this church, one of my biggest fears is I have become aware of how dangerous my sinful temptation is, and one of my deepest fears is that I would do something, some kind of moral failure that would bring shame on Jesus, on this church, and my family. And when I don't think rightly about my past in light of who Jesus is, I can let that fear control me. I can let that fear cripple me into being paralyzed, into doing nothing. Or, I can be honest about that fear. I can acknowledge what has been and who Jesus is now in my life 
and I can do something positive about it. And I can choose to invite people into that and say, hey, let's keep chasing after Jesus. I'm not gonna live in the dark and I'm gonna chase after Jesus and who he's making me so that I'm continually becoming more like him and not living controlled by what was back there. Peter Scazzaro, in his excellent book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, he describes the process as going back to go forward. And he says, true spirituality frees us to live joyfully in the present. It requires, however, going back in order to go forward. This takes us to the very heart of spirituality and discipleship in the family of God, breaking free from the destructive, sinful patterns of our pasts to live, in the, live the life of love God intends. Notice that, word, that phrase, breaking free from the destructive, sinful patterns of our past. What we're not talking about is just sticking our head in the mud and staying there forever. So that you spend the rest of your life just defining yourself by whatever your hurt and your pain and your struggle is. No, what it is is facing it honestly, letting Jesus heal it, and then breaking free from it and moving forward. Now, most of us were not given the skills growing up to know how to do that. And we often cannot do it on our own, and that's one of the reasons we are always inviting and pushing people to live life together here at Fellowship Mosaic. We don't do community groups because we just need some quota to fill, and we'll feel good about ourselves if there's a lot of groups meeting throughout the week. We do this because people need other people to walk with them. And so right now, I wanna tell you about three ways that people want to come alongside you and help you walk to grow to be more like Jesus. The first one is our community groups. That is one of the primary purposes of walking together is that we can process our past, our present, and our future in light of Jesus and help each other keep pressing on. So we invite you, if you're not in a group, we wanna help you get connected so you can walk well with, God, with others and with God. The second opportunity, which has been so important for me that walks this process so well, is celebrate recovery. I'm gonna be honest, it's terrifying, okay? It's, when I realized what I had signed up for, I was so scared. Like to walk through my past and say, this is what happened, this was my responsibility in it, this is how it affected me, and just to write all that on paper sounded absolutely horrifying, and it was so freeing. And the process doesn't just look backward, it also looks forward at what God's gonna do in your life now. Celebrate Recovery meets on Friday nights and I would encourage you to come jump in. Uh, those groups are so safe, they create a safe place to do that work, um, to begin to have someone who, if you're like me, I need somebody to take me by the hand and walk me through the whole process and Celebrate Recovery does that really, really well. The third thing I would point to is we have a care ministry here on campus filled with licensed counselors that are excellent at creating a space for you to do that work, to begin to help you do the work of taking some of these things that might have been buried and bringing them before Jesus and begin to kind of organize your life experience in light of the gospel so that you can move forward. But notice what Paul says in verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Guys, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who met Jesus face to face on the road and is starting churches all over the world. And he says, I'm still pressing on. One of the most important ideas of a growth mindset is that we have to accept that growing is gonna be the rest of our lives. Have you seen statistics on how many diets fail to make an effect? Why are diets so ineffective? Because the, the selling point on so many diets is if you do this really extreme thing for a short amount of time, you'll be done being disciplined. It doesn't work, does it? You go, I'm gonna commit for a short period of time to do something extreme and then I can go back to living carefree. I've tried it, it doesn't work. When people actually get healthy is when they embrace being healthy is the rest of my life. I would love to have it over and done say six months of suffering and then I can eat whatever I want for the rest of my life. That's not the way being healthy works. And that's not the way walking with Jesus works. We spend the rest of our lives pursuing him and making daily choices to draw closer to him. 
That's the way health works, that's the way fitness works, and that's the way training for godliness and knowing Jesus works. And so Paul closes out this little section in verse 15. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. You can't see this in your English translation, but Paul does something rather clever here with the word mature. It's the same Greek root as what's up at the top when he says, I've not already obtained. What Paul says is, he opens this section with, I haven't been made mature. And every mature person will realize the same thing about themselves. See what he's saying? The mark of maturity is realizing you're not mature yet. The mature person realizes they've still got a lot of work to do and they've still got a lot of growing to do in their life. So he says, mature people will recognize they're still growing. Mature people will take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, there's, there's like, I think there's some really sweet gentleness and a little bit of like gently condescending head pat here. Mature people realize they still have a lot of growing to do. And if you don't think you have any growing to do, if you think you've already arrived and are completely mature in Christ, God will straighten you out in time. <laughs> Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Paul is giving this gentle comment at the end that, you know what? Some people aren't ready for this commitment. That's okay. Don't look down at your nose at people based on where they are in their walk with Jesus. Let's be faithful right where we are. So the question for us, church, for us, Fellowship Mosaic, is will we get rid of a diet mentality with faith? Have some really intense short-term experience that transforms us and then we're where we need to be in Jesus. And instead, will we embrace a lifetime pursuit? So I think that the big idea that this passage is telling us is that, that spiritual growth will happen when we embrace knowing Jesus as a lifelong pursuit. Starting today. And that's gonna come through time with others and God and time alone with God. So here's what I'd like to have us do is we're spending some time singing to the Lord and we're gonna have a, a time of just quiet here in a moment in between two of the songs. Ask God, what, what's he saying to you tonight? What would it look like for you to bring a new regular practice into your life or a renewed practice of faithfully pursuing him this week, making knowing Christ the goal of your life. Maybe it's a renewed focus to say 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the morning to get up, read a passage of scripture and talk to God about your day. Maybe it's jumping into a group of, helping pe of people helping you grow. Maybe it's showing up at CR this Friday night. But ask the Lord what he would call you to this week, to practice for steady, ongoing growth as we pursue him together. Lord, if I'm honest, knowing you is not the number one pursuit of my life. But it's growing to be stronger every day. I do wanna know you. I wanna know the power of your death and resurrection in my life. And Lord, I pray that this church will be a church, yes, that produces spiritual leaders, but that produces spiritual leaders who know you, who know you deeply and represent you to Northwest Arkansas and the world. We love you, Lord. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Open.
grateful that in the deepest parts of ourselves that we don't want anyone to see, you see us too. And it's not just that you see us, you see us, you know us, you love us. So we take a moment to reflect on your deep, deep love beyond all understanding. Let's take a moment. you search me how you know me you perceive my every thought from afar and all my wandering still you love me king of glory you pursue my anxious heart even when I'm not your face
step by step you would lead us. Um, lead us to your presence. Lead us to community with, with you and with your body and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, we thank you for who you are. It's in your name, sweet Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, Mosaic. As you guys are heading out tonight, um, I just want to let you know that there are um, people in the back corners that would love to pray for you. So if you're sitting in one of these back corner seats, someone would love to come and, and pray for you and, um, and with you. We also have an info booth out in the foyer, up out in the very middle of the foyer. If you're new, we want to know you. So come say hi um, or come say hi to literally anybody in this room. We really do want to know you. So, um, hey, as we go out, let's say this together. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God.